Good afternoon. Welcome to the salon. This is Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. We serve tea, cakes, and intersectional feminist analysis of Japanese pop culture. On our menu today is something special just for you. It's a series retrospective on Yuri is my job. My name is Alex, and I will not be keeping up that pub, uh, customer service voice for the whole episode. Don't worry. <laughs> I am a contributions editor here at Anifem. I'm also a writer and researcher studying queer representation in uh, media for young people. I am joined today by my fantastic co-hosts, Vry and Tony. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Vry. I am the managing content editor at Anifem. Uh, you can find me being sad about vampires and occasionally doing freelance work uh, <laughs> on on Twitter until it dies at Writer Vry, and I am also on Mastodon.social uh, as at Writer Vry. Hello, I am Tony. I am a contributing editor at Anime Feminist. You can find me on Twitter at Poet Pedagogue, where I talk about anime, but also about teaching, abolitionism, and occasionally post videos of myself playing the saxophone. Hooray. Wonderful. Thank you for... I feel like I was the only one really bringing the energy... Sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to commit that hard to the bit. <laughs> Are you about to tell me about my mandated pieces of flair? <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Government mandated flair. Government mandated pizzazz. No. Um, so, hello, everyone. We're talking about uh, Yuri is my job today. This is a series that we have covered a little bit before here at NFM. Uh, way back in uh, episode 134 of this very podcast, we recommended it as one of our uh, Yuri Manga Variety Hour episodes, which we could probably do a follow-up of um, by now. There's been enough new series come out. We probably have a nice new pile of things to talk about. We also have a great article by our very own Vry um, called What Role Are You Playing Communication, Queerness, and Neurodivergence in Yuri Is My Job, uh, the themes of which we will be coming back to, I imagine, today. Uh, so this is something we had on our radar, for sure. So needless to say, a lot of people on the staff here were very interested when an anime got announced um, for the spring 2023 season. So this has just finished airing. We're going to be talking about that today, uh, unpacking its uh, cultural and kind of genre context, which is very important to knowing what's got going on there, uh, its themes, and uh, perhaps most importantly, its messy, messy cast of fictional teenagers. Um, oh before we <laughs> before we go into that, though, would one of you love to give us a, a plot summary to as a refresher, or perhaps if people are listening without being familiar with the work? Yeah. Uh, do we want to say that this will be uh, some spoiler? Uh, if you want a completely spoiler-free talk, uh, sort of talk about the show, you should maybe check out the seasonal podcast. We'll probably be wanting to get into like the actual meat of the narrative, especially the later stuff. Yes, that seems uh, fair. And I also imagine we might be getting into some uh, manga discussion as well to just sort of talk about a couple of um, maybe adaptational decisions or things they haven't adapted yet, but we're looking forward to. So be wary of that uh, as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll give a heads up if we're going to mention any manga spoilers and we'll try to keep it vague, I think. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and but we'll, I'm sure we'll give timestamps too of beginning and end of them. So it will be... Very easy to avoid. Yeah, so a tiny little uh, plot summary. The story begins with uh, Hime, who is a extremely sweet, adorable, popular girl. Uh, she's small, she's blonde, she gets along with everyone. And since from an early age, her plan has been to become beloved by everyone and eventually snag herself a billionaire so that she can live in the lap of luxury. And she has crafted herself a perfect facade from which nobody can discern her true intentions. One day, while she's on her way to school, she bumps into another girl and knocks her down, uh, spraining her wrist, and gets blackmailed into working at a cafe or on High School Host Club style. Uh, when she gets there, she discovers that the cafe is themed in a style similar to the uh, classic Class S manga, Maria Watches Over Us, a fictional version of that, obviously, where the waitstaff all pretend to be schoolgirls at a prestigious German academy, and they have very close uh, bonds of... Uh, they seem to be quite good friends. Yes, they're all very good friends. Uh, the, 
uh, of sort of of nebulously intimate uh, relationships called Schwestern. And when she's there, uh, she's a prepared to just ride it out until the blackmailing is over, but she meets her co-worker, uh, Mitsuki Ayanakoji, uh, who for some reason is the one person who doesn't like her, and she cannot stand for that. And that is where we begin. So we are definitely going to be digging into the story and all, you know, the character relationships and things, but because of the genre stuff that you mentioned, this kind of interaction with Class S, I think we should uh, start with that before we dive too far in. So Yuri is my job, as you said, Rai, is kind of riffing on the aesthetics and tropes of old school Yuri uh, and or class S literature. Um, And there's a lot of historical and cultural context surrounding this, which we won't get into too deeply today, just in the interest of time. Um, But the the kind of quick version is uh, class S is a genre of fiction about the intimate friendships and relationships between young women. Uh, This began in the early 20th century and often is anchored in settings like the all-girls school, which was becoming a much more popular thing and a prescient setting for stories at the time. Uh, These class S stories and the tropes and traditions that they established are generally considered to be the kind of prototype for what we would now in a modern context call Yuri. Uh, Nikki Barman, a.k.a. Yuri Mother, has a neat article breaking down the history of the genre called Beyond the School Cathedral, How Yuri Grew Up on ANN, which is a great resource that really kind of breaks down, um, yeah, the the evolution of how we kind of got from this literary tradition to kind of here we are now with a whole genre and uh, demographic umbrella that we call Yuri, which encapsulates uh, a lot of different things. Um, but the aesthetic and genre framing that the cafe in Yuri is My Job is following uh, is nicely summarized for us in Bauman's description of Maria Watches Over Us. Uh, we've got, quote, a private religious school where only elegant and pure young maidens could attend. An emphasis on senpai kohai relationships with the younger girl would call her senior onesama and deep, powerful romantic friendships. End quote. And uh, needless to say, lilies and pure white flowers absolutely everywhere. So Yuri is my job is uh, exists in a very specific kind of uh, genre and media conversation. And it's, I know that this sort of satirical uh, genre aware aspect was the thing that initially drew me to the series uh, when I sort of heard of it and heard of its premise. What about you folks? Sure. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, I was nervous about checking it out simply because, well, I had seen a little bit of the advertisements that seemed a little bit um, like it was going to adapt it in a way that felt fetishy or like, you know, just kind of playing up some of the aspects of of uh, the show that would kind of um, make it feel like it's missing the point. Um, and but <laughs> I, Bri really insisted that I watch it, saying because I. They know that I love a story about messy, complicated lesbians who really are making the worst choices that they could possibly make. <laughs> that, that is a bountiful genre. It's a surprisingly large genre. And so, you know, um, I, I watched it and, you know, I, I'd heard about it from the Yuri Variety Hour episode that they did. And I was just so, I was absolutely correct in every shit way. I really found myself attached, especially to the way that these characters who struggle to describe their, like, emotional life honestly have so much that each of them is hiding from the others, like, so much. Everybody is hiding everything from each other, right? Mm -hmm. Except I think he may think she's not hiding anything from Kanoko, but she is. And how the kind of class S, like archetypes started to give them kind of a language to describe their emotions to each other and to try to be a little bit more honest with those emotions. But even as it did that, it like kind of structured their emotions into this way that was actually not always helpful to get them quite where they need to be. So yeah, I I really, really found myself drawn to that aspect of the show, this kind of class, the, the, the class S satire and kind of the way that it asks how, like, having these models for how to talk as lesbians or gay people or whatever can be helpful, but also really limiting, too. Yeah, I, I picked the manga up uh, because Sai, I think, was the one who sold it so well on that 
uh, Variety Hour podcast. They really, uh, th- th- they really pitched it to me, and they were correct. I would call this easily the best schoolgirl Yuri series currently running. I think you could make a case for it as the best Yuri series running, but you would have a real hard time stacking it up against How Do We Relationship. But yeah, I think it's really, really smart and funny, and it has great depth of character writing. It's uh, a big thrust of the piece I wrote about it is that it's, it's very easy to make stories about misunderstandings trite, where, you know, Romeo and Juliet die because one person didn't get the right message at the right time because the moon, you know, wasn't waning in Saturn. Um, but the characters who miss the characters misunderstand each other in this series so organically, where they're both there a lot of them the time they're really trying to better their relationships with one another or to be earnest but their approaches to life uh can be inherently opposed or their, their values lead them into opposition with each other which then creates the conflict and i know uh, i've heard people say that they have a hard time with this series because they get a lot of uh secondhand anxiety from that and i think that's valid uh one thing I hadn't considered until uh, Peter brought it up in the in our work slack is that this can be something of an unapproachable series just because it does have that high degree of literacy buy-in. Like, I don't think it's impossible to enjoy if you're not very familiar with Yuri, but I think it gains a lot if you do know of the, the history of the genre and are at least passingly familiar with other popular works uh, of schoolgirl Yuri. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it um it does have a bit of a barrier to entry in terms of like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, actually, I don't think it's a barrier to entry. It just may be, yeah, some of that stuff, the some of the jokes of the initial setup may go over your head. Like if you sort of approach it like, oh, okay, well, there's this weird cafe where they're all pretending to be German schoolgirls, I guess. That's kind of a weird niche, but I'll roll with it for the purpose of the show. I think that would still work. You would, but, you know, obviously you get something very much more um specific and potent out of it. Um, if you have that context that like, oh, this is a parody of the genre that this exists in, basically. Although I feel like it's not necessarily a mean-spirited satire. I don't know. It, it, I'll be interested to know your thoughts on this because it's obviously using this sort of class S, um, oh, we are all just pure lily-white maidens and we would never consider these feelings as anything more than sisterhood. It's obviously leaning into that. But it's not, it feels like I'm trailing off in all directions. Basically what I'm trying to get at here is that we exist in a complicated conversation with, you know, old school Yuri and Class S, as we do with all um, prototypical and old historical queer fiction, where it can be tempting to look back and be like, well, that was all crap, you know, because it's we're so much better now. But, you know, uh, I think Yuri is my job, has its critiques of this setup, but it also kind of acknowledges, well, you know, I am here now telling this story because 100 years ago they were telling this kind of story and the evolution through different social contexts and different moments in history, that's all led to this kind of point. So it's, I don't know, it's it's paying homage as much as it's taking the piss, which I think is um, <laughs> an important thing for kind of what it's going for. What do you guys think? I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, I think that, like, I I think that, like, in terms of my own familiarity with um, that kind of genre, I, I actually haven't watched a lot of classes or read a lot of classes myself, but I still really enjoyed the show. And I also think that we're at this point right now where there's, like, many, like, many different series are engaging with the limits of classes. And it, it and I think that um, there's been kind of a string of shows that have this very strong kind of representation of girls who are trying to break out of this kind of model of purity um, and break out of these ideas of girlhood that are so restrictive. Um, We see that with like your wonderful article on flip flappers, I think really encapsulates flip flappers critique of that Alex um, Mm -hmm. in the, in the class S episode. Oh, it's a great article. Um, And then it's on NFM. Um, if you want to read it. And then, like, Yurikuma Arashi, of course, is, is like, a very strident critique. But I think what what links all of these different shows is that I don't think that any of them are particularly disgusted with the concept of class S so much as they are 
like frustrated with the systems and limitations of the of the systems that produce it, right? Um, and how and the lack of other stories. It's not mm-hmm. so much that these tropes are harmful in and of themselves, as much as it is absent other representations of lesbian life and of uh, sapphic life. It, they are inadequate, right? I'm so I'm very impressed with how this series uh, handles its parodic elements. I think you hit the nail on the head, Tony, where the the thematic struggle of the series is very much about these sort of uh, coded queer works uh, can be a place where people can congregate and find each other in community. But then at a certain point, uh, they also become limiting or restrictive. And I think that's something that the series very much gets into in the arcs following where the anime leaves off. But um, yeah, with so like with with uh, I know people really love it and I need to try it again and give it try to give it a fair shake just because people it's very important to people but i have always really really resented maria sama specifically for coming out in the early 2000s and essentially reigniting uh class s as a uh, um as the popular form of yuri after we kind of had you know what people jokingly like to call the gay 90s <laughs> with, where, where we had Uranus and Neptune and uh, we had, you know, Adolescence of Utena and that kind of stuff. Then Maria-sama was a big hit. And for years after that, you know, at least at least in Strawberry Panic, they got to kiss. That's something. I can really respect the, the, the sort of loving nature that this takes at that, that works specifically and works like it while also uh, saying, okay, but what else? You know, you mentioned uh, Alex... Uh, Nikki Bauman, Yuri Mother, she's also talked about in some of her Patreon articles this co- this sort of uh, theorist concept of the scale of soft to hard Yuri, right? Where this, the, the farthest end of soft is basically shipping, where you're taking these dynamics between female characters who get along and mapping relationships onto them as a viewer and, you know, extrapolating that through fan work. And then you have the furthest end of hard, which is explicitly described and termed as lovers with like on-screen intimate physical contact um and i think a lot of series like this um are mapping out to what degree do we need to what degree do we need or want terminology especially as you know sort of grounded queer works start to come more into focus in like 2010s era yuri and bl type works which think is interesting yeah and just to add on to that and i think one other thing that yuri mother has said in another article if i remember right is that one of the main problems with yuri nowadays is a lack of interest in the material experiences and the material conditions of sapphic life right like what is it actually like to be sapphic and to experience societal homophobia just to experience um these different forms of violence. And I think that we are seeing now uh, a much, I think since that article was published, we're seeing more and more series that are actually contending with that, with things like how do we relationship. And I think that, uh, and if I were, and I think that um, Yuri is my job is, is, is on that spectrum. I, I think that, Yuri is my job is less interested in the more like explicit violence of homophobia and that material reality than it is in just kind of a psychological like process of trying to come to terms with that you have feelings for another woman. (laughs) And so many of the characters are just in complete denial that those are their actual feelings. I agree. It's um, which it doesn't like, it doesn't, sort of explicitly nail this on the head and say, oh, these characters have a hard time recognizing uh, lesbian attraction when they see it because their only frame of reference is this, these very intimate friendship, quote unquote, class S stories. It doesn't come out and explicitly say that, at least not from my memory of reading it and not from seeing it in the show, but that's kind of the background subtext. If it's like, the the kind of fantasy wonderland of the cafe is the only framework through which intimacy between girls can happen, then it does kind of make sense that they don't have any concept that it could be any other way. Like certainly, for example, we don't see um 
you know, uh, I don't know, Kanako watching TV and seeing like a, a queer couple and going, oh, wow, this exists in this, you know, format outside or there's not, at least so far, any like older queer couples or mentor figures or like, you know, things like that, for example, like you would get in um, Bloom Into You or um, even, even like Catch These Hands, which is a very silly Yuri that I read recently, has like a B couple um, of, you know, a pair of lesbians who ended up together who kind of like show this, um, this is a possibility. You can, you can have this, your desire can look like this, your relationships can look like this. It, Yuri is my job, that doesn't kind of exist. And so whether it's whether it's explicitly making it as part of its commentary or not, it's kind of saying, all right, the Maria Watches Over Us uh, format is the only place that these kind of intimacies can exist. So it makes kind of sense that the characters just wouldn't put the pieces together and assume that their feelings were romantic um, until, of course, you know, you get things towards the end where Kanako is like, oh, wait, I, I can say the words I love you and it makes sense. I never said that out loud before. Like it's it's doing something but on a more meta level, it's not really banging it out that explicitly. But again, if you're wired into kind of the history of the genre and the context and stuff, you you put those those threads together into this grand tapestry. I mean, there's there's Sionji-san, but that is something that's introduced pretty close to the end of the anime and you don't get to... Uh, I'm a little bit behind on the manga. I've, I've read uh, nine volumes and there's going to be the 11th volume is going to release in English at the end of July. So, uh, but in the most recent volumes, it's kind of getting into the, uh, the alumni of the cafe. So it, it is looking into that adult element, but you certainly don't get much of that in the anime. It's, it's very much about the schoolgirl space. Mm-hmm. And I think it holds that back deliberately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To kind of like draw you in and then open it up further as you, as you go along. And of course, you know, Sionji's existence, right, is an incursion in the space, and it's treated as such. We'll get more into this when we talk about Sumika, but, oh, yes. you know, it, it, it's not like, it's not like the incursion of romance in the space is something that is unproblematic to that, like, the functioning of the class S space. Like, real romance, I mean. I, I mean, speaking of it, um, I think another thing that this, the series does well is sort of balancing the fact that you can look at most of these characters and say, you are a trope uh, or a take on a trope, but also it takes those and writes them in a way that uh, feels like these are also characters. Like, you know, Mitsuki and Hime are, of course, the uh, the type A and type B girl, you know, the, the dark haired beauty and the, the small bubbly younger girl who ten- who are the most popular template for Yuri couples. Uh, Kanako is every sad lesbian friend. It <laughs> goes back further than Tomoyo, but I always think of Tomoyo. Um, th- who just... <laughs> it's it- And uh, then you have like Sumika, who is you know, the she's both this cannot we can't doesn't she doesn't want to allow for the the romance in this space uh but also you know she's very much just who hasn't been upset because romance has broken up their friend group and like it's looking back on it maybe you overreacted but it's like the end of the world at the age where you are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh man so what we're getting to i think is that we kind of came for the genre commentary and stayed for all the messy business involving these characters, which I think segues us nicely into kind of how I wanted to do the the show discussion, which is, as you have so nicely pointed out, each of these main characters gives us so much to unpack. Um, So let's maybe go through it character by character, um, if we'd like to, starting with, of course, our beautiful princess, Hime, who has never done anything wrong in her life and who everybody loves. I know this and I love her. It's so funny because so many people's immediate reaction to Yuri is my job when they first watch it is like, I hate her so much. They're wrong. They're all wrong. <laughs> but everyone says we want more gremlin girls until you get one. And then you don't appreciate her. It's funny, right? Because, I mean, on one level, I get it. Because, like, my, my emotional gut reaction is to find him a very frustrating. But when I actually be like, okay, well, you know, engage with this as fiction. Look at her as a character. And when I do that, I find her fascinating. Especially, the like, she's running a con, right? Like, I don't know explicitly, like, at what point in her life she started this grand plan of hers. But it's basically, like, I don't know. I'm picturing her as, like, a six-year-old or something. 
coming into this self-awareness of how she is in the world and how the world sees her. And her immediate thought is, ah, I have to turn this into a grift to ensure my own financial <laughs> security. Cause like she's already, she's already uh, got her whole facade thing going in, you know, primary school when she meets Mitski. So I'm just, I'm obsessed with that as a, as a character detail and as a motivation that she's just carried with her for her entire life. You know, I mean, it's so interesting to me because we don't hear a lot about these characters' home lives, but there's a lot you can potentially read into it. Like, we know, I think you can read a lot into Hime's obsession with wealth and, like, the fact that she immediately notices Mitsuki is rich. Absolutely. And, like, this all is a plan to get a husband in the end of the day. Like, that's the entire plan. It's, like, it's her plan, but it's also... Is she just saying that because she really is actually just scared of what people will think of her and she's scared of social rejection, right? Um, I really, really don't. I think she's so deep in the compet, she hasn't even considered being attracted to women. I really do. (laughs) And I think, I don't know, she's, yeah, because her plan is to get a husband, but doesn't actually, like, her attraction or interest in men doesn't come into it. She's like, that's my piggy bank, buddy. That's what that is. Um, And I think the thing that I enjoy most about Hime is that, you know, her facade is a facade, is a facade, right? In that she's like, ah, yes, I have this grand plan. I'm so ahead of the social curve. I'm playing everyone like a fiddle. I'm on top of this. But, you know, you you spend 10 minutes in her headspace and you're kind of like, ah, no, (laughs) your real motivation is I need everyone in this room to like me so much all the time or I will die. This is the most evident when she when she freaks out and is so confused and so confronted when Miski doesn't like her, which you know is is for real tangible reasons. Although she knows that at this point because she forgot that they used to be friends. Oops. Like imagine, um, uh, and that's the thing about her. Like I cannot tell if she is that. Like some people say that she's incredibly emotionally intelligent. Ah no. And I'm like, are you high emotional intelligence? If you're as miserable as she is, twenty four seven. Because you're constantly desperate for everyone's like love and affection. Are you high emotional intelligence if you cannot even remember and figure out that this girl who does not like you is the person who you totally trashed on in primary school and like were like besties with? I don't know. Like I don't even believe in emotional intelligence. I just I think things are so much more complicated than that. (laughs) Hime is your brain on rejection sensitive dysphoria. (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like like for real i think you can read her and mitsuki as like oh no two neurodivergent partners do not automatically make a perfectly harmonious relationship <laughs> if i remember right i think it was uh i think it was um gosh i, I had her, her her like can you remind me what nikki enchilada's like name that her byline's Monique Thomas, but she goes by Nikki in uh, This Week in Anime. Okay. So. How should I refer to her right now, you think? Hmm. Nikki's probably fine. Yeah, I think no, it was no. Nikki from Anne. Sorry. Oh, just because I don't mix it up with Nikki Bowman, who I said before, but like that's okay. Nikki from Anne will make different, sense. Different Nikki. <clears throat> so I think Nikki, um, who who does This Week in Anime for ANN, was talking in our like Discord that Kime is the ADHD to... Yano's autism spectrum, and I, I can see that like pretty profoundly. Like just in terms oh, of yeah. just completely forgetting important details, and like having no idea like how to take people's orders because she forgot to read the employee manual. Which unfortunately the anime glossed over, but I think it's a really important insight into her character that she just does not have the energy or time to like do the study that is necessary to be an effective like worker at this at this um cafe yeah i feel like that's a big background detail that explains a lot of why um mitsuki is understandably frustrated with her is she was given the tools and she just didn't do it and it's like this is mitsuki's hyperfixation, presumably now or presumably before it was piano and and then here is um here is hime just kind of like being like oh whatever i'll just i'll just wing it and, you know, any autistic person who, when they see somebody else pick up their hyperfixation and just be like, oh, whatever, I'll wing it, is, I, I find I'm always a little bit like, you're gonna do what now? 
<laughs> How dare you? How dare you? You can't do that. I wouldn't call the job her hyperfixation so much, but I think it is her safe space where she is able to uh, practice social roles and, like, she has a set script, right, that she can... Mm. That within this space, as long as she acts according to these guidelines that she's been told and follows those rules, mm. she will have positive social reactions. And that is a safe thing that she can always fall back on and feel comfort in and know that people will back her up in. Um, and I don't know, I just, you know, we, we've referenced it several times at this point. My God, Mitsukiano is the most autism girl of all time. And I, I, Absolutely. I, I I'm not somebody who often uh, vibes with characters that people point out as autistic. Uh, Haru from Free does nothing for me, but like, it's, it's, it's her and it's Armand and it's Pearl and just... I see myself in Mitsuki so much. It hurts. I feel that very profoundly. Uh, well, I, mean, I guess we're, we're kind of, this is the nature of this show, I guess, is that the characters are all so intricately knitted uh, into each other's lives. We kind of started with Hime and have naturally segued into, into Mitsuki. So oh my God, let's talk about their relationship, so maybe. Um, their absolute gut punch of a reveal um, of, their, of their past, which, again, I love because... Um, the oh my gosh we've met before as children is uh, a you know, it's a romance trope across all genres but it's a thing that I have seen multiple times in sort of Yuri or Yuri adjacent work um, kind of Utena being the the massive most devastating amazing spoiler, one spoiler, um, spoiler 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 never mind never mind forget <laughs> <laughs> I said anything don't worry about it um, <laughs> um, but this is like I don't know this is such a funny and interesting and maybe more realistic I dare say version of that where it's like oh we knew each other as friends and you fucked me over when we were 12 and now we have to live with that and we found each other again god younger than that I think they're like eight yeah actually I was I kind of wasn't sure but yeah like when we when we were very small impressionable children um which again he is an eight-year-old and is already running a con <laughs> Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, I lie to everybody all the time. I'm like, you are, you should not be thinking this hard about your performance of girlhood <laughs> and your like financial gain. <laughs> I think that makes Yano's response to to Hime like ha- having that attitude towards things of like, you know, kind of publicly being indifferent towards her, but then like privately, like really caring for her and like publicly just completely baffling because not yes. only is not only is Yano autistic presumably I mean I, I perceive her as that but she's also eight and like I don't yeah. know when I I think that one really common experience for autistic people I experienced this is almost this I experienced this kind of almost arrested development not the sense not in the sense that like inside I am like six even though outwardly i am 17 but just that like it took me longer to learn the social codes and to like kind of figure out certain rules of communication and how to explicitly directly like ask about boundaries and yada 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 and but when i was that age like i too would have you know said that seen that and been like but why if you like Mm. me say you like me to your friends (laughs) You know? Yeah, or like, and if you don't like these people, then why are you pretending to be nice to them? Like, you know, it, it makes sense that she is, yeah, as you said, baffled by Hime's whole thing of the, you know, saying one thing and meaning another and having these different personas where she's like, just be nice to people if you like them and don't hang out with people that you don't like. Like, it's it's very straightforward logic, surely. Yeah, I, I think... I tend to tell people that if you get to episode four, which is the flashback episode or the beginning of volume two of the manga, and that uh, that whole little scene doesn't click for you, this probably isn't going to be a series you get anything out of because that, that flashback just destroys me. It so epitomizes uh, what I think the series does well emotionally in that they are both doing what they think will protect the other person where like Mitsuki really wants to, to be earnest and stand by what she believes um, and stand up for, you know, that Hime should be able to do what she wants. And Hime, whose biggest problem is often 
uh, not thinking that other people have emotional complexity or agency, decides that she's going to protect Yano by pushing her away. Never once does it enter her mind to tell her this, that this mm-hmm. is her plan. Mm-hmm. It hurts me and my feelings. Yeah, and again, and then they are thrown back together and forced to reckon with their shared past. And it's very juicy melodramatic material. Mm-hmm. And I think that is fundamentally the problem with Hime's attitude towards the world is that she sees everybody else as people who she as objects to manipulate, right? Um, except for the people who she's decided that she cares about, right? And I, I, on some level, she does care about their feelings, but she cares about their feelings in a way that's not about like you know how can we work together to figure out these situations and to, at least in the beginning, it's how can I protect you from your own social ineptitude (laughs) Mm. (laughs) or like not even own social ineptitude but like from these other people who are being mean to you you know um and i think that the, the the class s tropes start to give her like force her in a sense to reckon with how that attitude has harmed people uh, around her, but it's it's very believably teenage too, right? Because like I don't think, I don't think he may inherently lacks uh, the ability to to feel for others or anything so much as she's just she's at that she's at an age where being self centered is natural, where you assume that your worldview is the only one or the correct one. Like he may uh, to some extent seems to operate under the belief that. Well, if everybody was, obviously everyone wants, has the end goal of wanting to be popular and liked so that they'll have a comfortable life and I'm going to help them get there. I'm just so smart that I figured it out early, which Mm -hmm. you can see in how she treats Kanako um, and how she tries, when she realizes that Mitsuki can't do that, how she tries to shelter her as if she has this, this inherent fault in that's just how the system is. Which, I mean, hey, that could be a good segue. We'll talk about Kanako. Oh, oh I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to um, kind of build on what you were saying, Bryce, like, what Hime constantly tells Kanoko is like, yeah, you're building your facade. You're building your ability to seem like you like other people, even when you don't. But the thing is that Kanoko's whole problem is that she is constantly holding up a facade around Hime. She is mm-hmm. like, not telling Hime how she actually feels. And that is Kanako's whole problem in around Hime. Around other people, it's just that she... It's not entirely clear what, what happened to Kanako to make her distrust everybody. Okay, like, pause for a moment. Uh, the So the anime as a whole is pretty uh, one-to-one in terms of adapting, like, Two chapters, an episode, or whatever. Kanako's is the only one where her flashback episode is just one chapter in the manga, and they kind of embellish it out for the, for a whole episode of the anime. And I think that that was a bad idea, because a lot of the flashbacks in the manga are very elegantly broad, if that makes sense. Like, there's a lot of alluded to, like I mentioned with, with Hime, and maybe, you know, coming from a poor upbringing, or, like, having a, a sense of need, you can kind of read that into some of her statements. I think that you can read, to some extent, that maybe Kanako is just, she has a little bit of the smart kid misanthropy, but also you can read that maybe she was bullied, to an extent, by kids around her in some of her dialogue. But when you're spending more time than the couple of very brief flashes that you see in the manga. Like, there's the vibe here that she should be being bullied by these nice kids around her, but you're not really seeing that, so it just kind of seems like she's a stuck-up jerk, and I think that's unfair (laughs) to her. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting point, too, how, yeah, like, maybe fleshing things out and adding more material without necessarily adding more information is not, like, a super-wise adaptational choice. Um, because again, Kanako kind of, uh, like, like everybody, she's kind of archetypal, right? At least initially, because we all recognize, um, you know, this, this trope of, ah, she's the, the, the pining best friend with the unrequited love, which to be clear is like a character type. I always have a soft spot for, 
you know, in, in, in Yuri or Savic um, media or, or otherwise, like, I don't know, there's always an element of chivalric romance or something to it. It's like, ah, oh, yes, I don't expect anything out of this, but I am noble and loyal and I will stay by your side and never mention it. Um, which, you know, I go crazy for that when it's played straight. But when you get a piece of media that attempts to unpack that a little bit, it's like, hey, I think that's making you miserable. Do you want to do something else? Um, <laughs> the character has to confront that. That is really interesting, which is what I find so intriguing about uh, Kanako's arc, which we do get, you know, a decent chunk of in the show that we've seen thus far. Yeah, my I was talking with my partner about the show, and um, they made an interesting point about how this where the anime leaves off with Kanako's arc uh, sort of ties into Yurikuma and the cafe itself with this idea of uh, sapphic attraction as inherently treated as for consumption um you know mm. if you don't say anything it didn't happen and and how that can be a double-edged sword as it were yeah because that's you know what? i hadn't even thought about that but yeah her, that whole thing of like oh they don't say anything it may as well not exist which you know is obviously um pertinent in the moment in the conversation between these two characters being like well hey you know like say, say your feelings out loud you're allowed to say those feelings out loud and make them real don't be frightened of making them real. But that line does also echo nicely into kind of, you know, uh, this discussion around like canonical or more explicit textual Yuri of just like, well, you know, if you have all the shipping fuel in the world, but they don't say I love you, does it quote unquote count? Um, which is still, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, part of the very much part of the discussion around, you know, subtext uh, and text in queer media. Um that's happening tragically happening today yeah and i think that there's like this also this aspect of if you don't say it then you are going to be erased right mm-hmm. like and i think that like but the thing is sometimes like i don't know i what i experience in my in my job is like even when i do say it i'm erased you know like when i when mm-hmm. i'm like in my teaching job i like constantly tell my kids i'm non-binary and trans over and over and over and over and over again and, you know, every single time they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I told you like this, like a month ago. It's just, I just don't wear femme outfits to work. Like, why, why are you shocked by this? I literally, you literally call me teacher son, you know? And there's this element, right? In those, in, in these kind of emotional labor professions of like, you are having to kind of, you tell yourself that if you are visible that if you represent yourself then that is going to change the you know other people's perspectives and understandings of your experience that mm-hmm. but then it's a little bit like the cis pet gaze is gonna sit that gaze it's gonna erase even what is visible unless you are like putting yourself in a position where you will be harmed you know like until i actually wear like a real dress to work and experience all the harms that could come with that, it is going to continue to be erased, you know? And it's interesting, like, how when you try to ask, like, what is for other people's consumption, right? And I think that the fact that these this cafe is, like, the desire to keep romance out of the cafe keeps it a little bit more safe in the sense that, like, you're not putting actual relationships on display for other people. But you kind of still are. <laughs> They're not yeah, doing a very gonna... good job. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I was wondering where this kind of discussion was going to fit in. So it fits in here perfectly. The thing that kind of uh, bugs me a little bit, and I, I recognize that this is just because we're still early in the story and it will probably get to it later, um, is that the weird voyeurism of the cafe itself isn't really unpacked. And again, I get that's possibly also because we're initially very anchored in um, Hime's perspective and she's just like, well, this is kind of weird, but it's a stage upon which I can do my thing. So, you know, this is, I need, again, I need everyone in this room to like me or I will explode. Um, But like, okay, here's a question actually. If this cafe was real, would you go? Uh, I I feel like if I was younger, yes. Now I'd feel, you know, now I'm 29 or what have you and uh, I'd feel like a creep. (laughs) Because these are teenagers. Yeah, and it's very yeah, much like... Yeah, same. 
I, I don't think I would go. Even, I mean, the the audience, or, you know, not the I mean, yeah, they, they don't call them the audience. They call them, like, the patrons, the guests, um, the customers, but they're, they're an audience. Um, they're not really characterised explicitly, but I, they're pretty generic. But I find, I don't know, I, I'm wondering if further on in the manga it would take more time to be like, hey, you know, this is kind of, this is you, <laughs> Yuri Reader. Um <laughs> This is you of all, you know, men and women and everybody, all different demographics, sitting in this cafe, basically being served up tea and cake and shipping material for these girls doing improv in front of you. Um, I don't know. It's it's sells the, you know, the allegory of the whole thing beautifully. But I would also wish, you know, occasionally I'd get distracted by all the beautiful melodrama and then I, there'd be a scene in the cafe. I'd be like, are we going to talk about all those adults who are sitting there <laughs> sipping Darjeeling and watching these like manufactured pseudo gay, like emotional turmoil and cute little flirty things happening. And then like clapping and posting about it on Twitter. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's kayfabe, right? They're essentially doing wrestling. that's true (laughs) but yeah i I mean i think the closest that i remember that it gets into that is is with the uh the rumors arc uh which boy uh (laughs) it's interesting it's um we had two uh we had two arcs this season about the uh the the terrifying power of uh jumping to conclusion internet rumors and one of them was more ethical than the other it was this one <laughs> the other, yeah, the the other one being not in this series, but another one that was airing in the same season. Is that what we're alluding to? Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, we're talking about Oshinoko not talking to Hanakamura's mother. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, got it. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's something that's still kind of on the table. Yeah, I, I mean, I, to me, it felt very re- true to life. To a lot of ex- again, like experiences I've had in emotional labor professions, right, where people talk about you, you know, it's, and oftentimes those people who are better able to perform this kind of sweet, gentle, excited, but not too, like, um, like, just this particular role of femininity are the ones who do not experience the harassment, who are considered the better at their jobs, regardless of how well they're actually doing, you know? And I think that, and that's always coded and, you know, related to whatever, um, you know, marginalizations that people have, and especially when it comes to neurodivergence, right? Like, he may, he, the entire way that he may is able to, you know, navigate the cafe is through her mask, you know? Anytime that she is, like, slacking on the job, like, when she cannot remember what tea is which, you know, she'll be like, I'll use my facade to get around this, mm-hmm. you know. It, it backfires in her face, but it still, like, demonstrates kind of how you can kind of use that that kind of um, mask as a crutch versus, you know, Yano it has to use all of her, you know, knowledge of and expertise on full blast all the time. But yeah, and, and, and so and still Yano gets ends up getting like trashed on because she she's not perfectly playing the role that people that the script wants her to play. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's very it's very much going into how this is lose lose, you know. I think it it touches on some of the same material as uh Maji Revo, you know, in this winter, uh twenty twenty three, about how it sucks to be the the woman who isn't uh feminine by acceptable margins because she is ostracized and talked about uh and treated as a failure and it also sucks to be the girl who conforms to societal expectations of femininity because she is invisible and her interior life is discarded mm-hmm. so and they're so limiting <laughs> Uh yeah the roles are really limiting and i think that's one of the interesting things the show does kind of touch on is that they are literally playing roles and the roles are very limiting like i don't know if someone came in and tried to play a character who was maybe less traditionally feminine they'd be like what no get out that's not part of that's not in the script that's not in the book what are we doing no but just here no cannot be done no um if we do this is exclusively a femme for femme space yes (laughs) which again fits in with you know the the historical everything 
But if we do want to talk about a character who is talking about, you know, keeping the performance as it should be, I think we should take some time before we run out of time to talk about our girl Sumika. I love Sumika. I, I, I love her too. I love, I mean, I love them all but in their own different ridiculous ways. But Sumika, I don't know. She's real good. I find her and Kanako's plotline fascinating. Yeah, their whole B-couple vibe is very good. And I feel a little sad because the things I like best about Sumika are uh, after the anime. Like, I like her first arc about about sort of her own lack of emotional intelligence and realizing that that she's, she's aiming at something to uh, disguise from herself the thing that she really wants. But to me, her her second arc uh, in the manga starting around like volume six is, is really the good stuff. Uh, if you at home watched uh, Adachi and Shimamura, it kind of dips into some similar stuff as far as sort of torturing yourself about failing to live up to the standards of pure Yuri. And it gets me right in my heart place. Mm, interesting. Cause I, I have read some of the manga. I think I've only read like a teeny tiny bit ahead of what the anime covered though. So I'm pretty much, <laughs> I'm in the same bucket, but it has encouraged me to, um, to, yeah, to pick it up again and see what happens next. Cause you know, unfortunately the nature of the beast is that this anime is a short adaptation of a long and slow burn, um, <laughs> source material. So, so slow. So slow. This is the slowest burning candle. Um, which is it? Is the manga still ongoing? Actually, like is it is. It yeah. Still... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, there are twelve volumes out in Japan. Uh, like I said, volume eleven is about to come out in English. It's a monthly series, so it's been going on since I think twenty eighteen, and it's got. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only sixty one chapters uh, collected in in Tonkaban format. That's through volume twelve. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I don't know. Is it heading towards any uh, believable conclusion, or are we just like going to be on the Yuri is my job train for the foreseeable future? Like I said, uh, I'm a little bit behind. I think it could end within 15 volumes, but hmm. you know, could take a couple more years to get there. <laughs> I uh, do. Okay. I, I do want to say for anime only people that I'm a little disappointed in the last episode of the anime. Uh, oh my god! Oh yeah. god! <laughs> Okay, okay. I'm not even talking about the boobs. <laughs> I'll be honest. I kind of think that the boob chapter in the manga is cute. Like, yeah, we're doing a thing where we're making boob jokes about the teenager, and that's yeah, but you don't have to there's there's not like egregious jiggle physics on the page. It, it's just the focus comes through more clearly uh, in the manga that, oh no, Hime is too gay to function and hasn't realized it. How can she be expected to have a brain cell when she lives her life at boob height? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and Yano constantly shoves her face in her boobs. Mm-hmm. So like Which is I, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it is. So like I I'm a little annoyed at the extra jiggle physics that the anime added in, but it I think it's I think it is closer to working as a, you know, comedy of errors boob joke in the vein of, like, the stretched t-shirt from Asobe Asobase, the best boob joke in all of anime, um, than something that feels- I need to feels- watch that. Yes, absolutely. I'll send it to you after this. Um, more than, than something that's, like, fan service for fan service sake. But what really disappoints me is that the last, the, the, the last, so the B half of episode 12 is actually the very first chapter of um is the very first chapter of volume five so the anime is kind of ending it on you know sumika's talked about how all right having won the bloom election i'm going to return everything to the status quo where we all take care of each other and we're kind of existing in this stasis um and then the t chapter starts off cycling back from talking about Sumika and Kanako back to talking about um, Mitsuki and Hime. And the T chapter is meant to signal to the viewer or the reader. Why are you still doing this? It's not cute. Why are you still acting like it's cute? And everybody is justifiably upset with her. Um, Whereas the anime is treating it like, Oh, things have gone back to normal and Hime's still slacking off on the job. Um, And it's, it really mischaracterizes what, the purpose of the tea scene is i think it's like you've aired only act one of into the woods and called it a day 
I was literally about to say that. No, it's like not only if you only shown Act One of Into the Woods, but then you also go on to the first number of Act Two. So happy, where everyone's like, "I'm so happy. Everything is great. There's nothing wrong in the world." And you know, but like, very obviously, there's something very wrong here. You know, and mm-hmm. that's where you leave it. That's literally what the anime does. Like, if I remember right, like. If, isn't one of the last scenes of the anime like Yano being like, I don't have feelings for her, do I? Uh, mm-hmm. uh. Yeah. And the, and the and final like, shot of course. You're leaving it there? Um, yeah. And then, yeah, the final shot is that very sparkly promo image kind of thing of it, like, you know, it shows you the fantasy vision of the actual salon in the fantasy girls' school, and they're all like... They do the Oron shot! They do the Oron door shot! <laughs> they literally <laughs> yeah, do! They literally do. Very much is like, not only are we re-establishing the status quo, we are kind of leaving on the note that isn't this pretty and lovely and wonderful? I'm like, didn't we just start to like spend 11 episodes starting to unpack all of that and say that no, it is actually more complicated than this and it's we shouldn't just focus on this shiny, plasticky, lily-covered outer image? Huh? Yeah. Like the the manga's literally about to go into, and the status quo is untenable, and it will make you all miserable. <laughs> but I guess they, I don't know, maybe they didn't, they were not sure about, you know, what could happen uh, regarding a season two getting made. So they were like, everything is fine. If this is where we leave you, go home happy. Don't worry about it. I refuse to be happy. Um, <laughs> and These like, lesbians I are really disasters. Do- I, I I am the I am the one the only the fan of Monica Rebellion and I do not think that I I'm fine with Monica Rebellion not getting a sequel. Okay, that's not true. But like, just <laughs> I'm fine with things being messy. And I think that one thing that I, I I really do hope that this does not enter the pantheon of shows that like you know end on this weird note where they like hint at some very large overarching narrative that's about to happen and then don't deliver on it. I'm talking about Toilet Pan, Hana Cocoon, Man of the Lustrous. Ugh, let's yeah. go on. Bloom into you. I mean, even like, in a, I was gonna, yeah, there you go. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I was gonna say, in a Yuri context, remember how Bloom into you just kind of finished, <laughs> even though it really felt like it was building up to a particular climactic event, which is obviously covered in the source material, but they were like, well, we run out of time, so... At least have, it has an ending, Adachi and Shimamura, the ending where nothing <laughs> happens and no one realizes anything. Yep. Oh, <sighs> the curse of slow burn, I guess. Yeah, I get or you I, know, specifically slow burn being adapted into short media. Cause you gotta make some adaptational choices to see what you can I don't know, either either cram it all in or leave it on this unsatisfying note. I don't know. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was so worried when I first, you know, started watching this that this was going to turn into an uh, other side picnic where it's just like, well, this is a great advertisement for the source material. Like, <laughs> it, 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 it absolutely stinks in every other way, but, you know, it, I'm glad that I picked up the light novels. By the way, if you haven't read it, read Other Side Picnic. It is fantastic. It's really um, good. But, like, I really, I do think that, like, last episode notwithstanding I think this show this adaptation was successful I I really do believe that like it made me cry multiple times which is not something that happens often with anime so it's very odd but uh, that they put there's like one or two kind of creepy foot shots in the whole series and they put them all in the trailer Um, (laughs) yes and it's like the most pathetic, plasticky-looking stocking you've ever seen. I'm like, come on! Like, that, this is gonna sound really weird, but if you're gonna do stocking fan service, put the effort in, <laughs> or just right. don't do it at all. <laughs> I, I do don't think half-ass this. <laughs> sometimes the anime sort of. I think it must just be crunch issues, but the girls sometimes look a little bobbleheaded, uh, especially in like mid and far shots compared to the manga, just because. It's hard to make an anime, so it's not yeah. as consistently pretty as a manga can be. But I, I think it hits most of the right notes. Uh, you know, my quibbles with the last episode and sort of stretching out Kaneko's arc not well, notwithstanding. I, I also, um, this isn't an anime thing, it's actually a subtitle thing. 
So within the context of the anime, the subtitler made the perfectly valid choice to translate the uh, the ski misunderstanding as love. Because we're talking, it's a Yuri series, it's romantic. Honestly, a lot of subtitlers err on the side of using less romantically loaded language where more would be more appropriate in my uh in my opinion. So I, I, I can vibe with that. The manga uses like, and that's really important to their, to, to Mitsuki and Yano's, uh, to, to Mitsuki and Hime's relationship. And like the ways that like is an extremely malleable world socially, especially in relationships with girls, that's about to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So if you use love, it is still kind of an amb- uh, an ambiguous word, but it's less so than like. Mm-hmm. As in, like, okay, but do you like her or do you like like her or do you right. like 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 her? Yeah, like that. Um, the ambiguity is pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty important for the whole thing it's going for. Again, with you know, just building its melodrama naturally and you know, hinting back to this class S kind of history, which uh, is always going to be there in the background. It's always going to be the set dressing that is going to be informing what's going forward. So again, it's kind of the final shot of you know that final blush of the episode uh, in episode 12 felt weird where it's like here we all are in the salon come in isn't this fun i'm like i didn't think that that's what we were saying but i guess here we are so but (laughs) as you said right all of that weird stuff notwithstanding i think it was a pretty solid show like i think it looked pretty good it was paced pretty good um it's quite an yeah quite an addictive drama um you know very kind of binge worthy if you want to ever want to get uh, sucked in now that it's finished and but do go pick up the source material as well if you're interested as we have said it has that extra material in it um, and you know we'll continue beyond this point into even more juicy stuff that keeps you know taking down this foundation brick by brick unfortunately we should start bringing this show to a close does either of you have any final thoughts you would like to get out into the into the salon before we must close Outdoors. I, I really feel like I am so happy that we are seeing such a boom in um like these relatively high quality Yuri titles with um with this show, with Magical Revolution, with all these different Yuris and and G Witch of course. Um and I guess Birdie Wing too. Wow, just so many. I and not not to be that person, but I really, really want to see that happen with some boys' love. Just give me just a little bit of that with boys' love because oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm so parched for boys' love right now. And I mean, there's a little bit of it in Sasaki and Miyano, but yeah, we could use more. Mm-hmm. Which again, like the more of these, uh, you know, queer series that come out, um, the, the more range that we have, and the the less uh, pressure there is on any one of them to stand as like the one BL series or the one Yuri series, which yeah gives you the space to have one that's maybe not a fantastic adaptation, like Other Side Picnic, which you mentioned before, or you know one that's. Uh, you know, you have something for people who want something really wholesome and fluffy, and then you have something for the people who want something much more dramatic and angsty, which, I mean, eh, Yuri is my job, kind of. It ticks both those boxes, depending on the episode. So it's, it's an interesting series to me because it stands so much in conversation with the past of the genre and also the future of the genre as well. I think it's it's making a statement about where we've come from, and it's kind of helping pave the way for where we're going to go. So I'm certainly crossing my fingers and toes for a season two, but we'll see what happens with that. For now, though, uh, this this has been this has been season one, hopefully season one of Moldable. But I think it it had a it had a good run, and I think I hope that it encourages people to I don't know dig more into the genre, dig more into the source material, and just see what's out there. And with that, unless there's anything else pressing, you folks want to dive onto the stage and profess. wonderful i am gonna wrap us up there thank you so much for listening everyone we hope you enjoyed um 
if you like what you heard, you can, of course, find NFM content all around the web. Uh, we got our full website with all of the fun stuff that's contained in there at animefeminist.com. We're also on that thing you call social media. Uh, we are on Twitter at animefeminist, mastodon.social uh, at animefeminist, um, cohost.org slash animefeminist, uh, and Tumblr at animefeminist.tumblr.com. Tumblr is still alive and well. I will not have anyone say any different. Um, most importantly as well, if you want to get in on this, if you want to help us keep the lights on, if you want to help us support the good work that we and our contributors do, you can pop over to patreon.com slash animefeminist. Uh, you also get access to a bunch of fun bonus stuff there, like our Discord, like our bonus recommendations and reviews that we do every month that aren't necessarily uh, related to our more seasonal stuff. If you really like the sound of our beautiful voices, we also have a bonus podcast uh, on there once a month. We get a little bit more uh, loosey-goosey in terms of the structure and the subject material. And if you want to wear your AniFem love with pride, we also have uh, shopanifem.myshopify.com. We've got apparel, we've got stickers, we've got mugs in a bunch of really fun designs that we have commissioned across the years. All looks wonderful. We'd love to see you in it. So thank you for visiting the salon today. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon and please don't step on the lily garden on the way out.